friends, welcome back to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. We are nearing the end of summer. We've had a lot of episodes uh, outlining what happened at the Global Gathering back in May, but Stephanie, we are back together here on Zoom. It's so great to see you. How was your summer? Well, it's great to see you too, Bob. My summer has been full, but great and wonderful. It's hard to believe it's almost over and uh, just excited to see where this next chapter goes and so excited about all the interviews you were able to do at the Global Gathering. Those were fantastic. Yeah, I hope you all have had a chance to listen to those. There were some really great speakers and we got interviews with most of them that, that we posted. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to those, we encourage you to go back and do that. But we're back sort of on our regular rotation as we continue here through season two. And we've got some great guests lined up. And our first guest, um, sort of post-summer, is uh, we're really excited to introduce Reverend Dr. David Hall. So Stephanie, go ahead and introduce uh, David yeah. for us, and then we'll, we'll have a great chat with him. I am just so excited to have Reverend Dr. David Hull here with us. He is the chair of the Methodist Evangelicals Together, which is an evangelical renewal group in the Methodist Church in the UK. And David is also the pastor of Freedom Church Bristol, which is based in Kingswood. And David, we just want to say welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear a little bit more before we dive into all the questions, a little bit more about where your church is. Uh, thank you very much. And uh, Stephanie, it's great to be here with you and Bob as well. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Uh, yes, I'm in Kingswood in Bristol, which uh, is in many ways where the Methodist revival began. John Wesley spent uh, a lot of time here preaching to the uh, miners in the open air. It's mm-hmm. in many ways where the revival began. And uh, our church now, Freedom Church, meets uh, on the piece of land that John Wesley bought in 1739. And really, this piece of land here was an epicenter of the uh, of the revival uh, that that grew uh, around the world and changed many many lives and we're just so delighted to be back here and seeking to reopen Wesleyan at Wells by the grace of God. Oh, it's just so exciting. Wow. What a powerful thing. When I think about the fact that where you are sitting right now literally changed my life and Bob's life forever. What a neat connection that we have. And so tell us a little bit more about the Methodist Church in the UK and about the work of the Methodist Evangelicals together. I know our listeners would love to hear. Mm. Well, the Methodist Church in, in Britain Uh, came into existence really in 1932. That's when various Methodist denominations came together in this country, denominations that had grown out of the work of John Wesley. And and then, of course, after his death, there'd been various splits and so on. And then there was a process of various uh, reunifications until all all of those groups really came back together in in 1932. So that's when the Methodist Church in Great Britain uh, started in in its present form. And Methodist Evangelicals Together is the largest independent organization within the British Methodist Church. Uh, we stand for the authority of the Bible, uh, for the centrality of the cross, for the renewing power of the Holy Spirit, uh, for prayer for revival, and for spreading scriptural holiness throughout the land. Hopefully you and uh, your listeners will recognize that phrase spoken by John Wesley himself as the as the very uh, reason that the Lord uh, raised up the people called Methodists. And I like to say that Methodist Evangelicals Together is um, a river that runs with the water of three streams, uh, because there were a number of organizations that predated us, 
uh, conservative evangelicals in Methodism, the Methodist Revival Fellowship at Dunamis, which was the charismatic magazine. And they all came to the position uh, of realizing the conviction, really, that uh, their voice would be stronger. They would be a stronger evangelical witness within the British Methodist Church if they all spoke together with one voice. And so they came together back in the 1980s uh, into an organization that was then called Headway. And then in 2007, our name changed to Methodist Evangelicals Together. And it's a great delight to serve as chair of uh, what we call MET. And uh, I've been doing that now for about eight years. How many, how many Methodists are there in Great Britain these days? I mean, we hear different numbers and, and that, that's, uh, you know, we, we've talked about how Methodism, you know, United Methodism here has, has had some decline. Um, but what, what is the state of the Methodist Church in Britain? Uh, well, certainly the numbers don't really compare to the United Methodist Church uh, in the States. Uh, we're talking about 160,000 Methodists uh, in this country. Okay. And you've recently uh, gone through uh, some controversy, as we have on our side of the pond. Um, in fact, Methodist Evangelicals Together has come to the forefront as the Methodist Church in the UK recently voted to allow same-sex marriages and ordinations. So what exactly was decided by the the governing body there, and how did you and your team respond to that? Well, the Methodist Church has been debating for some time now, as it has in the States, these issues of marriage and human relationships, and that process culminated in the production of a report called God in Love Unites Us, and that was brought to the conference just a month ago for final uh, uh, um, ratification. And so all the proposals in the report were voted through by a substantial majority. And uh, they began by uh, setting out some uh, principles of good relating. Um, nobody would disagree with anything uh, that was in those principles of good relating, but they then went on to draw a number of conclusions uh, with which we disagree profoundly. They affirmed cohabitation, uh, that is sexual intimacy outside of marriage. So now um, Methodists, both lay and ordained, we don't make a distinction really in, in terms of our expectations of, uh, of lay people versus ordained people and vice versa. Uh, the same uh, standards apply to everybody. Um, Methodists now may uh, live in cohabiting relationships, including uh, ministers. Uh, the church changed its definition of marriage and now it affirms two contradictory uh, definitions of marriage. It's a, it's a logical impossibility. Uh, the Methodist Church understands marriage to be two things. Number one, uh, between one man and one woman for life. Uh, number two, between any two people. And it affirms both understandings. And it then went on to agree that um, Methodist premises may be used for the blessing of same-sex uh, relationships and the solemnization of same-sex marriages. Now, there was a conscience clause as well, which means that um, no Methodist minister will be required to um, participate in, in the blessing of same-sex relationships uh, if their conscience prohibits them from doing so. Um, no uh, Methodist church is required to host these uh, unless the church council, the, the governing body in the local church, uh, votes to have them. Um, but, of course, that cuts across the traditional teaching of the Christian church that 
teaching that the church holds around the world today, the majority of the Christian church, and most importantly, it cuts across the teaching of the Bible, the teaching of Jesus himself. And tens of thousands of us within the British Methodist Church believe that uh, Jesus offers a unique vision of life that is the very, very best for all of human society. And that includes uh, his teaching about marriage and human relationships, that, that marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others. And the Methodist Church has now moved away from the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of the Bible, the teaching of, uh, of 2,000 years of Christian history, the teaching that is held by the majority of Christians around the world today. And it's relegated all of that to a minority position within the church that requires the protection of a conscience clause. And tens of thousands of us believe that there's an untenable um, position to hold. And, and that wasn't the only thing, of course, the conference decided and some of those other decisions um, point to the fact that, 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 that the, the teaching on marriage and relationships isn't the root cause. It goes much, much deeper than that. And, and these are just symptoms. Um, so I mentioned that at the beginning of uh, God in Love Unites Us, this report and these proposals, there were some vague general statements about good relating as human beings. Um, one of my critiques of that has been that it doesn't um, say anything that is distinctly Christian, and it doesn't say anything that only Christians could say. And I think that's very sad. I think it would be wonderful. The Bible says so much about uh, good human relating. Some of it is very unique. And one of the Methodist districts, um, this, the, these uh, um, proposals had to go through a period of consultation. Uh, local districts um, had to uh, vote on them and discuss them. One of the districts tried to uh, bring in a distinctly Christian element into those principles of good relating and state that fullness of life, we believe, is only found in Christ Jesus. Now, that proposal was brought to the conference and it struggled to do anything with it. Uh, there were people who said that it was going to cause difficulty in, in uh, multi-faith chaplaincy settings and so on. And in the end, it proved to be so contentious that the, the conference uh, decided they voted not to put that to the vote. And in the end, a much weaker resolution was brought back um, that says um, that the example of sacrificial love is found supremely in Jesus. Now, we believe that. We believe in the supremacy of Jesus, but we also want to say more than that because we believe in the uniqueness of Jesus, and we do believe that fullness of life is only found in Jesus Christ. Now, the Methodist Conference uh, couldn't say that in the end, uh, and that goes to show uh, that, that these controversial proposals that were passed by a substantial majority are just a symptom of a much deeper root cause. Something we talk about here quite a lot, that the the differences are are theological, sort of like, you know, the human sexuality issue is the tip of a very large iceberg with a lot of stuff underneath the surface that um that's clearly part of, of part of what you're dealing with as well. Mm-hmm. Yes, it you know, it just floors me too that they would have affirmed cohabitation and sexual relations outside of marriage for, for people. I mean, it, it, it blatantly goes against scripture. And, and I do appreciate too, like Bob said, the fact that you bring up, this is a much deeper issue than just uh, what is on the surface. So in, in hearing that, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are shocked as well, but how would you compare the cultural climate for evangelical Methodists in the UK to that of ours here in the U S and what additional challenges are you facing there? But also on a lighter note, what hope is there for us? 
Uh, th thank you. I, I think, again, in, in many senses, it's one of scale that we talked about the number of Methodists in the UK, in, in Britain, compared to the number of Methodists in the States. And in terms of the climate for evangelicals, uh, that is one of the things that uh, we have to face here, that we are a much smaller group of people and uh, we have far fewer resources in terms of people and finances and all of those sorts of things. But one of the biggest differences, I think, between the UMC and the Methodist Church in Britain is that we don't have any overseas conferences anymore. Uh, our conference followed a policy um, dating back to perhaps the 60s of encouraging our overseas districts, as we called them, to become autonomous. Now, there were lots of strengths in that um, uh, policy, but it also means now that those overseas districts do not have a vote in our conference. And I think one of the things that we've observed uh, and given great thanks to God for as we've watched what's happened in the States is that uh, it's often the overseas conferences that have uh, carried the vote for you and kept the UMC faithful. And we praise God for that. Isn't that wonderful that the, the gospel has been carried out uh, to these brothers and sisters in Christ who have guarded it and treasured it and, and now stand with us and standing firm for it. And we have overseas autonomous conferences now uh, with whom we have relationships um, who stand dismayed at the decision that the conference has taken. And they refer to the British Methodist Church as the mother church. And now they see themselves standing alone. And it is a very difficult, surprising and distressing situation uh, that they um, find themselves in. Um, the other thing that we found over here, and uh, I wonder if it's the same in the UMC in the States too, is that um, a number of people who used to stand where we stand and call themselves evangelicals have changed their views on this issue and now uh, seek to speak as evangelicals, um, but affirm um, the, the, the new teaching. And, and that is disheartening, heartbreaking for us to have to stand uh, against um, those that, to whom we have looked up and, and followed all these years and been encouraged by and strengthened by. And now we find ourselves standing on different sides of a debate. And that has uh, made life difficult for us as well. So we have fewer people than you do, fewer resources than you do. Um, we, have, uh, we don't have those overseas conferences. Uh, we have people perhaps like you who have changed their views, um, who still speak to seek to um, to speak as evangelicals. What one of the great uh, encouragements to us has been that we remain members of the Evangelical Alliance in this country. Um, uh, millions of evangelicals standing together uh, and standing with one voice on this subject still. The Evangelical Alliance is standing firm on these issues and we stand them, with them too. And that, that's been a great encouragement to us. Um, uh, another uh, sort of um, symptom of the, of the climate in which we find ourselves is that uh, as well as all those other decisions, the conference voted not to release the resources, the buildings and finances and so on, of um, the congregations who felt that they could not in good conscience remain within the British Methodist Church. And they voted to treat it as a disciplinary matter rather than a pastoral matter when ministers can no longer affirm that they uh, uphold the doctrine and discipline of the church. Um, so it is a, it's a very difficult climate in which we find ourselves. And of course, you know, it's no surprise that uh, it's similar to the climate of the world at large. The spirit of the age has become, in many ways, the spirit within the church too. Um, 
so that's the despondency. <laughs> but there are great signs of hope too. I mean, how could we meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ and have a conversation and not be able to talk about hope? I mean, that, would, that, that wouldn't be possible. Uh, there's great hope. And uh, one of the things that I've been speaking about is how the words of Psalm 130 have resonated deeply with us. Out of the deep have I cried unto thee, O Lord. And I'm sure you know uh, the story about how John Wesley on the 24th of May, 1738, uh, woke up and went to, um, uh, was it morning prayer at St. Paul's Cathedral in London? And the choir sang the anthem, a setting of the words of Psalm 130, out of the deep have I cried unto thee, O Lord. The, the, those words summarized perfectly that, that feeling of desperation and deep longing that he had to discover hope and to discover uh, a sense of a sonship and, and, and a sense of his salvation and an assurance of his salvation and so on. And he, he, he heard those, those words sung in St. Paul's Cathedral. You can still go to St. Paul's Cathedral today and, and see where he was. And of course, that was his deep prayer. And he didn't have long to wait um, before that prayer was answered, because as we know very famously, on the, that evening, he went to a meeting in Aldersgate Street and his heart was strangely warmed. His prayer was answered. And it is amazing to think that uh, one of the lowest moments of his life also turned out to be one of the highest moments of his life. And it's been my prayer that, that for many of us evangelicals within the British Methodist Church, at what is one of the lowest moments in our denominational life, it's my prayer that we will, uh, through the mercies of God, somehow find it turned into uh, one of the highest moments too. And one of the greatly encouraging things has been the other Wesleyan evangelical groups and denominations that have reached out to us and affirmed that they stand with us and want to support us and work with us uh, in any uh, way possible. And so that's a sign of hope emerging already, some new life out of uh, this despair uh, of, of new partnerships uh, forming for the good of the kingdom to make Jesus known and to rekindle that Wesleyan flame in the motherland of Methodism again. Yeah, it's almost to me like there you are at Kingswood and you're sort of standing where John Wesley stood in relation to his own Anglican church at the time, except you're doing it with the, the mother church of Methodism, which uh, seems very out of out of sorts. But at the same time, it I think it very much does keep with the spirit of who we are as Wesleyans, continually looking to to see renewal and calling people to renewal in the image of God. Uh, no matter where they find themselves. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I resonate with what you said about when you read John Wesley's diary on that May 24th, 1738, that it wasn't just Luther's you know, preface, because when you read that, you're kind of like, well, that's not exactly super inspiring. But I imagine hearing Psalm 130, you know, sung in St. Paul's, which is an amazing place, and then going to Aldersgate Street would have would have lit that flame for him even more, uh, lifting him out of that despair. It's exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you think about this, I mean, you, you clearly are in the midst of, of a, a very similar place to where we are. Um, we have before us the protocol for reconciliation and grace through separation, which I always find a very interesting title for that, but we call it the protocol, which, which would allow when we get to vote on it, and if it passes, churches to leave uh, with their property 
and so forth, that does not seem like it's a provision for you based on what you've said. So what are the next steps for the Methodist evangelicals together and for Methodist evangelicals in Britain? Is there a chance you could band together? Is there a chance, and I'm sure our listeners are wondering about this, that that um, evangelical Methodists in Britain would want to become part of the global Methodist church that we're hoping to form out of this? Yes, as you know, these uh, conversations have been uh, a long time, uh, going on for a long time. These decisions have been a long time in coming. They've come really uh, as no surprise to us, although they come as heartbreaking decisions to uh, um, to have been made. Um, so we've been preparing for this. We have needed the conference to make its final decisions before we knew exactly where we stood, um, before we could move on to our next steps. But um, what is Important, I think, is that there are no knee-jerk reactions, that everybody continues to seek the Lord. And we've been saying to people that you must do whatever he tells you to do. Uh, Now, because these things have been so uh, long in coming, some Methodists have left already and and they've just walked away from their buildings. They've they've locked the doors, they've handed the keys back and they're starting again. And we respect that and we have committed to supporting everyone. Uh, so that that is just a decision that, that some have made, and, and uh, we stand with them, and we seek to encourage them, and we pray for them, and continue in fellowship with them. Um, others are staying within the denomination. Some speak of uh, a, a strong sense of call, vocation to remain. And again, we've said, if if that's what you sense the Lord is calling you to do, then we will stand with you and support you and encourage you. And Uh, as much as we can, hold the conference to account on the commitments it's made uh, in terms of making space for evangelicals within the life of its denomination. Um, There are others who are staying uh, when they're honest, uh, and many are honest about this, uh, not out of a sense necessarily of vocation, um, but of what what is sometimes called golden handcuffs. So those decisions about property and finance, and um, let's be honest, ministers who have families and and their livelihoods and their family homes uh, depend upon them staying within the British Methodist Church. No one envies their position. No one can uh, judge them for the decisions that they must make, but they feel trapped and they will therefore, uh, albeit reluctantly, stay within um, the British Methodist Church. And we will support and stand with them. And there are others who still are seeking the Lord now that they know what the final decisions are uh, and taking Uh, time to uh, reach proper, careful decisions together uh, within their own communities about how the Lord is leading them forward. Um, We've encouraged churches who are uh, leaving and ministers who are leaving to um, support uh, existing work uh, within the country because there's plenty of Wesleyan evangelical work that is faithful in this country going on and and we want to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ who are committed to the, uh, the Wesleyan evangelical vision that we share and uh, that has been going on uh, across the country too. And, and as I mentioned earlier, we're, we're working to bring together Wesleyan evangelicals within this country in, in a new sense of unity and partnership and standing together and working together. Um, we have within the British Methodist Church said, as much as we are able, we will continue to have those conversations about um, uh, buildings and resources and so on. Uh, and, and, and it's important to understand why, why those are, those, those conversations are important. It's not at all that for people who are struggling over these issues, 
the buildings are more important than the gospel. That is not the case at all. And I'm sure uh, you will understand that. Mm-hmm. It, rather, it is the case that they have this, this inescapable sense that faithful people throughout generations have given sacrificially for gospel work, faithful gospel work in the places where they are. And, and those resources have been entrusted to them. And they don't think, feel that they can just walk away with that without at least trying to free them up and honour the intentions of those who who gave the resources of the past. And that's why, um, as much as we can, we don't hold many of the cards in these conversations, um, but as much as we can, we will have those conversations uh, to to seek to encourage the releasing of um, resources uh, for those who uh, feel that they cannot, in good conscience, remain within the British Methodist Church. Now, you, you mentioned the Global Methodist Church and the WCA, and it's fantastic to be on the WCA podcast and, and, and talking with you today. Um, I was at the launch of the WCA um, way back when, a few years ago now, um, and uh, back in, it was in Chicago, wasn't it? And yes. uh, we had a wonderful time there. We were treated with uh, great honour and great hospitality by the folk and uh, welcome there. Unforgettable experience. And uh, we've kept a close eye on developments uh, within the States and kept you in our prayers, of course. And um, we've been in conversation with the WCA leaders. Um, we had our, um, what we called our, our Remaining Faithful Moving Forward conference uh, just last weekend. And Keith Boyette recorded a greeting uh, for us, and we were delighted that he shared with us in that way too. So who knows what the future holds? Uh, we're having to get on with it here now. The, the timescales don't quite uh, align between the WCA and the, the, the Global Methodist Church and, and what's happening in Britain. Um, but what is clear is that, that we are committed to this sense of vocation to renew the Wesleyan mission in the motherland of Methodism, to make Jesus known. And, and we want to stand with and work with all those who share that vision. So let's keep talking. Let's keep watching developments. Let's stay in relationship and let's see uh, what emerges to the glory of God. That is so good. And it's exciting to think about the ways that we will continue to work together. And so as you are talking about the the little bit of a difference in the timeline, you all have really been thrust a little further forward than we have here in the United States and, and have been forced to make some of these decisions. So that being said, what words of advice can you give our listeners as we here in the United States await the next step for the global Methodist church? Um, and aren't those timescales fascinating because in many ways you were due to be ahead of us mm-hmm. and uh, I, I watched with a friend of mine, uh, very, I think it was in the very early hours of the morning as your general conference made its final decisions uh, to remain faithful to the scriptures. And uh, the, the sense of spiritual battle going on was, we, you know, we had a sense of that here in the UK uh, and, and it was phenomenal to watch it. And the, the way things have played out in the States uh, since then, uh, shows how contentious these issues are and, and what pressures are upon the church from both within and without. And, uh, you know, we, one would have hoped that that vote to remain faithful to the scriptures would have been the end of the, uh, and, and, and yet it hasn't been. Uh, and I think we, all of us in the, in the Church of Christ around the world need to, to recognise these pressures and, and know what's going on. I'm not sure really that I'm in a position to be able to give advice to our brothers and sisters in Christ in, in, uh, in the States. 
Uh, we praise God for your faithfulness and continue to pray for you. And um, just a couple of things to mention. I, I wrote a, um, a little booklet uh, called The Runaway Train, uh, which we sent out to every Methodist minister and every Methodist church in advance of the conference vote. And it details really the ways that the political processes have been uh, handled in the UK since 1993, really, over three decades, um, that have led to this um, to this position now, how the, the brakes have been taken off that runaway train and it's run out of control and how it's been nudged along and shunted along in those journeys. And and, and it might just be interesting for people to, to have a look at that because it might just prompt some thoughts about how things uh, have developed in the States too. And, and uh, that can be downloaded for free uh, from our uh, website, methodistevangelicals.org. UK. And I think if you were to Google Methodist Evangelicals Runaway Train, that would probably take you uh, to the link too. And when I'm talking to people from other cultures uh, about the lessons that we learn here, um, it doesn't apply to the States, I think, um, because you are more or less where we are too. Um, but but I, I, I quote the verse of St. Paul, if you think you are standing, uh, be careful that you don't fall. Um, because there are some cultures around the world uh, who believe that 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 their social pressures are not as great as we face here in the UK and as you face in the States. And I want to say to those cultures, well, beware, because I'm not so sure you are as far away uh, from where we are as you would like to think that you are. Now, I pray that you're a long way from where, where we are, um, but I, my, my hunch is you may not be as far as away as you think you are. And uh, we, we now live in a global culture and the global pressures uh, on the church in whichever nation you're in uh, are immense uh, and we need to be aware of that and we need to stand firm we need to count the cost of standing firm uh, and if we wait and do not stand firm uh, then we will lose ground um, so I, I say that to other cultures I, I, I think uh, your culture in the states is similar um, to ours but you know I, I keep saying to people here in the UK it must be the same for Christians in the states we must continue seeking the Lord, continue to do whatever he tells us to do. Let's hold grace and truth together. Um, those who stand on the other side of the debate to us aren't always very good at doing that. Um, I've received plenty of ungracious uh, comments and, and, and correspondence and so on, but we have to admit that people on our side of the debate aren't always good at holding grace and truth together. We must do both. Um, we've spoken out in the UK about speaking making it clear where we stand, um, building up one another in our most holy faith and counting uh, the cost of standing faithfully. But I think as Bob was saying earlier on, there is nothing new under the sun. It was ever thus. The, our, our denomination was born in circumstances like this when unfaithfulness had crept into the church. And I think it's worth reminding ourselves that in those times, strategizing has to happen. Of, of course it does. And, and one of the reasons that the Methodist movement continued was because of the strategizing that John Wesley did and the structures that he put in place that meant that, that it had a, a, a history after his, his death. Um, but in all of that strategizing, we must keep the main thing the main thing and never lose sight of our gospel calling. Um, as part of our Methodist conference, we hosted uh, an event uh, as Methodist evangelicals together here in the UK, in, in Great Britain. And um, 
as part of that, I spoke to Carl Truman. Now he's not a he's not a Wesleyan, um, but he's written a fantastic book called the, Ri the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And if you've not read it, I would highly uh, recommend it to people. Carl Truman's The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And he's a church historian, and he looks at contemporary history in that book through the eyes of a historian. And it's really only at the end of the book that he um, gives away the fact that he is a Christian and he draws out some lessons for the Christian church. And it makes fascinating reading. Uh, and I'm sure it will be the same. I mean, he, he, he's a British guy, um, but works in the States. And, and what he writes is as true for uh, the culture of the States as it is here in Britain. Um, uh, the, the challenges uh, that we face are, are very much the same in holding out the gospel. And he says at the end of his book that we can draw inspiration from the church of the second century. And, and in our interview, I asked him to say a little bit more about that and explain why that was. And he said, well, in the second century, the Christian church hadn't yet become the dominant faith. It, it hadn't become uh, established. It was still a minority sect, and it was viewed as immoral by many people um, because they loved one another. That was viewed to be immoral. It was misunderstood. Um, they were um, Rumours went around that they... They drank blood and ate flesh. They were, they were viewed as an immoral sect, minority sect within a, a strongly anti-culture. Um, what did they do? Um, well, they took Jesus at his word, who said, and by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And they simply lived that out. And they made sure that they demonstrated that love and grace towards their neighbours and in their communities, reaching out to people, caring for people, um, loving one another. And Carl Truman says, in an anti-culture where everything is against the church and what we believe is viewed to be immoral now, uh, they can't argue with a genuine, loving, caring community in their midst. And uh, that's one of the things that I've taken away quite recently from that work and uh, I would share with my um, brothers and sisters in Christ in the States. Mm -hmm. What a good word for us. Thank you so much for that. And as we move forward all together, I know that we are uh, grateful for your support and your prayers that you have offered for the WCA. And as we look towards launching the Global Methodist Church, but how can we pray for and support you? Um, it's, it's exactly the same. I think pray for us as we, um, uh, as we discern the way forward. Uh, pray that we would be uh, strengthened in the face of opposition. I pray that doors would be opened where currently they are closed. Um, pray for continued unity and um, a, a, a widening of that unity amongst Wesleyan evangelicals in this country. Pray that we will have the resources to do whatever the Lord calls us to do. And pray that more than anything else, uh, we would remain faithful to the Lord and that he would be glorified in all of this, that Jesus would be lifted high, and that people uh, would come to know him. The Lord can turn all of this for good. And uh, we read in scripture that wonderful prayer, don't we? Uh, Lord, we have heard of your renown and of what, what you have done of old. Repeat your works in our day, O Lord. And uh, I wonder if you would join 
with us in praying that prayer for the motherland of Methodism. Oh, yes. I would say a loud and resounding amen to that. And David, we are so thankful that you would join us. And thank you for your work there in the United Kingdom. Thank you for your gracious uh, answers today. And thank you most of all for your faithful servant leadership uh, in Jesus Christ. We're so grateful to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great to join with you in conversation today. Your enthusiasm is contagious, and uh, and I think uh, we we are encouraged by hearing hearing where you are. We we all sort of band together in these in these times, and um, this is where um, you know I've been I've been doing a series a podcast on Wesley sermons and realizing how much um, he calls us to go beyond that sort of external kind of religion and get into the real religion of holiness, of heart and life. I just finished doing 13 discourses on the Sermon on the Mount based on his discourses, and and that that push toward holiness is not easy, and I think we're experiencing that now. And, and in fact, Jesus told us it wouldn't be easy. So this is this is part of our, our task, I think, as the people of God is to keep moving forward. And so when we have great examples like you, David, who are who are contending for the faith and in difficult circumstances, that that can help but inspire us. So we do thank you so much for joining us, and um, uh, so people can find you at your website. Can you say that again? I'll make sure it's in the show notes as well. Thank you very much. The website is methodistevangelicals.org.uk. There's an S on the end of evangelicals. Methodistevangelicals.org.uk. And if and they can contact you through that site, I would assume, as well. That's right. And uh, there's also a contact form on uh, a website with my name as well, davidhull.org.uk. Great. Well, I'm sure this won't be the only time we chat, and, and I'm looking forward to having more conversations in the future. And we're glad that, that you have joined us. We're looking forward to having more conversations like this. I was just thinking, Stephanie, that we need to get Carl Truman on here uh, to talk yes. about this particular book, because I think it is really relevant um, to, to our situation that could be really helpful. So thanks for that recommendation, David. We want to thank you for joining us, and uh, we hope that you will continue to follow us on Twitter at WCA Pod. Um, you can send us your questions and comments at podcast at wesleyandcovenant.org. We look forward to joining you again here every two weeks as we move into the close of this year. And um, I'm playing my my uh, Wednesdays with Wesley podcast music, and I'm looking at the exit here. There's the right music. Got a new setup here. Let people in on how the sausage is made a little bit here on the podcast. (laughs) We're grateful you've joined us. We look forward to talking with you next time here on Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association.